Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we all arrived on time, which is good. We know something, we know something that Nicodemus doesn't know as he speaks with Jesus in today's gospel. Of course, we know the identity of Jesus. We, of course, come to that faith and belief and read this as those who are following him, but we know that Jesus is the very life of God, the very life of the kingdom of God, and that's who's speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus must be born from above into this new life. The Apostle John, who wrote this gospel, was the longest living apostle of Jesus. All the, other, all the others had been martyred, and he lived many, many more years. At the end of his life, uh, scholars say that he wrote this gospel, and it is the reflection of the life and the faith and the spirit of all those years of being the beloved disciple and then uh, experiencing Jesus raised from the dead and then life in the Spirit after all those years. Listen to how John begins his first epistle. We declare to you what was from the beginning, that what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you that the eternal life that was with the Father was revealed to us. This is very important. He's saying that the very life of God eternal life, the same life that was with the Father from the very beginning, was revealed to them in their life. And they spoke to Jesus, who is the life uh, incarnate. They dealt with him. They ate with him. They lived life with him. And this life was revealed to them. And that's the life that they share. So we know that the life of God, the very life of God, in Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. Let's just go on a little further. John would later say in his gospel, just as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Also, I am the bread of life. Uh, I'm the person that will create a flowing gushing river of life inside of you. So this concept of the life of God in the gospel and the epistles of John are unmistakable. And in fact, Jesus would say to the Pharisees, which Nicodemus was uh, no doubt a part of, he would say to them, you search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life. And it is those scriptures that testify about me. Because Jesus is the word of life. Jesus is the life of God. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is the life of the kingdom in his own person. 
And that's part of the point of this sermon. The very life of God is speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus does not know that. Well, let's look and see who Nicodemus is. We know who Jesus is, but who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a wealthy man. We know that because at the end of the gospel, after Jesus was uh, uh, crucified and was dead, Nicodemus brings a hundred pounds of aloe and myrrh to prepare the body of Jesus for burial, and only a wealthy man could produce such a thing. Nicodemus was also a Pharisee. He was a part of this brotherhood of 6,000 men who have vowed to live out the law of Moses in all of its fullness. The scribes worked on all the law of Moses and all the extra interpretations and the body of hundreds of years of the law of Moses. And the Pharisees said, we will take it on and we will try to enforce everyone else to take that on too. So he was no doubt holy and devout. He was also a ruler of the Jews, an archon. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was sort of like the Supreme Court of Israel. There were 70 of them, and they were in charge religiously and even politically over every Jew in the world. So this is an important man. This is a man at the very top of the pecking order, and he was also a good man, and he was open to hearing Jesus because he came at night so that he could have an extended period of discussion with Jesus. And he knew that Jesus, who had begun to form these uh, signs and wonders, and people began to wonder what was going on, and he even said, you have to be connected to God for all these things to come from you. So he was someone that was approaching and inquiring, someone who had initial uh, faith even in Jesus, but wanted to learn more. But he wasn't sure. Nicodemus was also someone who was very sure about the importance of being born into the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was someone that would have considered that that was the highest gift that you could be given, uh, someone who took on the law of Moses completely, someone who no doubt at that time looked forward to an event that would lead to the routing of the Romans who were in charge of their land and in charge, ultimately, of so many aspects of their life. When is God going to give us a political and religious figure to do God's business and get rid of these Gentiles? And he would have been someone who was thinking in that way. He was someone who certainly was open to hearing Jesus. And then Jesus blows his mind with this talk about being born from above. He is locked into this world, to his own family, to his own nation, to his own Pharisaic brotherhood, to his own Sanhedrin, and talk about being born from above would be as unusual as someone like John the Baptist saying, you all need to be baptized for the repentance of your sins. Because you see, members of the Sanhedrin and Pharisees 
don't need to be baptized because they're already at the pinnacle of Jewish life. So, he had already rejected John's baptism, but he had to wonder in the back of his mind, what's going on with Jesus? So, ultimately, he is in survival mode. Survival mode is when this world and our allegiances of this world and our prestige and our power and our titles and everything about this world is at the very top of our priorities. The only problem with survival mode is none of it lasts because it all ends in physical death. And of course, that's all of our problems. And Jesus says you have to be born from above to enter into this new life of the kingdom. You have to be born of water and the spirit to enter and to see it and to interact to it. The one who possesses eternal life itself is speaking to Nicodemus and saying that you must be born by an act of God and it's something that you can accomplish by yourself by the things that you have in this world. This is coming from God. Well, survival mode is something that all of us are in touch with because it's the easiest way to understand life and to live life, really. Lisa and I, we have a French bulldog. And our French bulldog is named Clemmy. And Clemmy is about 15 pounds. She's sort of small for a French bulldog. And we love her to death. She's very sweet. She will sit on your lap for hours if you're watching some sort of movie. And uh, Clemmy is just the most marvelous, wonderful, sweet creature. But what we have found is that if you put your foot by her bowl while she's eating, she will come after you with such ferocious uh, energy that you have to recoil. It would make a bear run the other direction, and we were surprised that our nice, sweet puppy, Clemmy, would come after her owners with such horror. This is survival mode. She is somehow thinking that it's going to be you or me, and it's going to be you who's going to die and not me. Ultimately, that's how survival mode works. But those who are born from above, who are born of God, who is self-offering love, this life of God is self-offering love. Those who are born from above into this life of God have a whole new paradigm. It's not a survival mode, but it's actually a self-giving, self-offering, even sacrificial life and love for others. And so this new paradigm of the kingdom of God, of the life of God, of the love of God, is swelling up in all those who are born from above, who are born anew from above. And this has great consequences. It reminds us that The initiative to salvation lies in God. God is always first. God's love always comes first. Ours is always a response to the love of God. It reminds us that, in fact, 
the love of God is the center of everything. And it also reminds us that Jesus mentions that this uh, aspect of being born by the Spirit is something that is not controllable. And it can't be contained or always quantified. It can't be stuck into a computer and you always get the right answer. The Spirit blows all the categories up. And that's why Nicodemus, who is very focused on his people and his land and his understanding of Messiah, is going to be blown apart when this life raises from the dead and he understands that there is much more to the God that he serves than he ever could imagine. St. Augustine reminds us that God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us to love. And John, after this discussion with Nicodemus, John the Apostle writes these words. No scholar really thinks that these are Jesus' words. They are the words of the Apostle. And he says, to summarize this uh, conversation, to even summarize the gospel, he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, this type of life that Jesus is in his own person. And that God is so good that he didn't come send his son into the world to condemn the world. He actually sent his son in order that the entire world, the entire world would be saved through him. And that's the summary of John. That's the summary of this paradigm of divine love. Well, those who have been born from above, as we have, who have this eternal life in us, we have Christ and the Spirit living in us communally and personally. Those who have taken on this new paradigm of love are living a different type of life. We're moving out of survival mode and understanding the kingdom mode. And that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, which I hope that you're reading for yourself, you will find out that this new type of self-offering, self-giving love, that that type of life is the life of the kingdom because that's what Jesus explains in this sermon. He reveals and unpacks how the life of the kingdom actually looks and feels and works. It's not a list of rules that we can check off, and the Pharisees are very good with lists of rules. It's not that. It's a life. It's a new life in us. It's a life that begins to take shape and control in us and will influence our priorities and our decisions. It is a life that we weren't born with that comes inside of us and slowly works on us and transforms us from the inside out if we will cooperate. And the more we cooperate, the more we will love the more we love, the more we exemplify the kingdom. The more we love, the more we are children of God. And that's why Jesus would say, forgive your enemies. Give without expecting things in return. Lose your life rather than save it. Don't resist evil that comes against you. He says, pray and fast and give alms. Well, in survival mode, all those things don't make any sense at all, right? 
They just don't. And we are very accustomed to some form of survival mode. But we are called to move out of that into the kingdom mode, into the paradigm of the life of God, the paradigm of self-offering love. And so we're called to be reminded that even though we feel like we don't have time to pray and it maybe won't be the best use of our time, we're reminded that no, we want to take time because prayer is communion with God. What would be more important than communing and participating in the life that will never die? The life of the kingdom. Eternal life itself, and that's what prayer is. Well, what about fasting? Fasting is a way that we might learn to say no to ourselves and yes to a greater life. Giving alms is a way that we truly would love our neighbor, that we could actually live out the golden rule. And forgiving is practicing none other than the love of God. And that's why it's so important. And it's why Jesus, in giving us the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's Gospel, in, uh, in the uh, sixth chapter, that he ends it by reminding us that our forgiveness is attached to the forgiveness that we actually give. And so this life of the kingdom, the life of God, eternal life, the life that Christ has is something that we participate in and that we live into. It is a life of repentance because we are slowly moving out of our survival mode into the kingdom mode, into the paradigm of self-giving love. And we're all learning how to do it. So today as we come and we receive that very life, that risen eternal life, that life of Christ, let us come to be transformed and continue our journey in Lent and continue towards our joyous resurrection at Easter. Amen.